we have to remember that the people around us are imperfect humans in an imperfectly fallen world. And if you and I expect perfection from imperfect people, every person will disappoint us. They're trying to live like Jesus. And oftentimes they do a really good job, but then every once in a while, they're not gonna look like Jesus because they aren't Jesus. How does God make us look more like him? What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Leader's Cut. You probably noticed that we are on a little bit of a different set than we most certainly are. And you're going to see some new things rolling out in this new season. Uh, and honestly, as much work as we've put into this, shout out to Blake, Stephen, Michelle, her team. Um, my goal really isn't that you would see or pay too much attention to the set. And here's why. Uh, and if you're wondering why I'm already crying, <laughs> I was crying during my prayer time before we even started filming this episode. So this is just going to be one of those. And I'm sorry um, if, if you don't get down like that. Um, the reason why it matters, but it doesn't matter, the excellence of the quote unquote set is if the God of the universe walked into the room that you and I were in, I'm pretty sure none of us would be paying attention to anything. And so my, my prayer is that um, it just all kind of fades into the background, literally. Uh, I'm bringing you into a little bit of, of my world right now. Um, <laughs> uh, I hate these. I have literally hate them. Um, and it's just, I, I guess it's, it's, it's probably safe to call this a season um, because it's been going on for a while. Um, but let's pray. And my heart, I'm just going to try and give you and give the Lord as much as I possibly can um, and trust that he, I, I literally wrote all of this in the last couple of hours. Um, we actually filmed a different episode last night and, uh, Blake and I didn't feel good about airing it and come to find out, uh, something was wrong with the audio and, and we couldn't have even aired it. And it's amazing how, uh, when the Lord wants something, he'll go to great lengths to make sure he gets what he wants. And so my prayer is that, um, he gets whatever he wants from our conversation today. Let's pray. God, thank you for being what we can't be. The older I get, <laughs> the more I realize you, you are you and I am not. And Holy Spirit, I'm pretty sure there is supposed to be some cutting in this episode and quite possibly in some fairly deep places that bring about some fairly heavy tears, not just on my end, but on theirs. So Holy Spirit, I just ask you, not as though I need to, but you just be the comforter that you are. Pray the peace of God would rule and reign in each of their hearts. And for those who are courageous enough to get in the operating table for this one, 
Holy Spirit, I pray you do something far beyond the natural and something so supernatural. You are so in this room right now. Just help my mind stay focused. Help my heart stay pure. Where it's not pure, purify it. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this time, but I don't even feel like we have to because you are forcing your way into this conversation and I love every bit of it. So we yield ourselves. We lay on the operating table of heaven. Would you cut on our flesh to make more room for your spirit? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well... Um, I'll bring you into a little bit of, of just the weight of this conversation. It comes from one verse that um, the Lord is, is most certainly ringing my bell with in this season. And it feels like one of the most expensive verses. And I almost feel like, because I've spent the last year and a a good portion of my life in this season trying to help people become friends with God. And it's been such a great year on that front, the last 12 months. And I get so encouraged when when someone says they they feel nearer to God than they ever have. Um... But as I get the <laughs> a greater understanding of this verse that I'm about to read you, I feel like I almost have to apologize to everyone because I feel like I might have tricked people, even though I know I didn't. Because I feel this is what the Lord's calling me to, and he's using a literal litany of ways to do it. First <laughs> John 2, verse 6. And it is hard to even read out loud. Says, he who says he abides, and I'm going to read it a little differently, in me, Preston, ought himself also to walk just as I walked. He, I'll give you Preston's paraphrase, the person who says, The Preston who says he is in intimate fellowship with me must make sure he is living his life in a way where he is walking just like I walked. One of the things I'm learning (laughs) uh, about the kingdom, capital K, is that graduation in the kingdom often looks like demotion. When I was younger, I used to think that being promoted, and I, I, listen, just being very frank, I run the risk bringing you into a really deep place in my heart of being misunderstood or, you know, this or that. Um, I'm really not even going to think about how you're receiving what I'm, I'm saying and just trusting that you're mature enough to create a safe space on your end. All right. Because um, sometimes, the leader's cut is like full-on teaching. And sometimes it's more like a, a video diary, so to speak. And this is kind of both. 
I'm learning that in the kingdom, graduation often looks like demotion. I used to, when I was younger, think that that as I I got older and got stronger in the things of of the spirit and and was living more like Jesus, that I I would be just ascending and and you know climbing these higher heights and doing these bigger things. That's how I processed as a teenager, you know, 18, 19, 20 year old. But as a 45 year old, I'm learning in an upside down kingdom, it's actually the opposite. It's those times when I feel he's taking me deeper and deeper into the recesses of his heart. And it feels like the antithesis of climbing and graduating. It, acts, it actually feels like demotion. And I don't mean in some like bad way, woe is me. I just mean uh, probably the best way I can describe it is the nearer I feel like I get to Jesus, the more aware I am that I'm nothing like him. And yet there's something so right about this feeling. So don't feel sorry. Don't feel like something's wrong. Nothing's wrong. I just never expected that the closer he and I got, the more Isaiah 6, I would feel a heightened awareness. Woe is me. I'm not you and I'm not anything like you. And so I'm bringing you into this real time thing called life where I'm endeavoring to be like Jesus, but becoming more and more aware of just how excruciatingly difficult that is. And so I want to walk you through a couple of things, uh, just some, some questions. Uh, and this is all real time, all right? So this isn't like a lot of other episodes where I spent a ton of time laying this out. I, I just basically wrote out some things and tried to bring as much scripture to it so that it wasn't just a conversation between you and me, but it was a conversation between you and me, the God of the universe, grounded in his word. Here's the first question so that we can kind of start from the same starting point no matter where you're at. Question number one, what is the goal of every child of God? If I were to ask you that question, what would immediately be your answer? Don't give me the answer you think is the right answer. Give me your actual answer. As a child of God, right now in this season of your life, what is your goal? Is it to do what he asked you to do? Is it to do hard things? Is it to follow Jesus? What, what is the goal? And here's what I think. And, and maybe this is a seasonal thing, but for me, this feels like the thing. <laughs> And there's a weightiness like Exodus 34, where Moses, after spending time with the Lord, his face was shining. I'm not saying my face is shining, but the kavod, the, the weightiness of God had settled in on him and it even caused him to look differently. Here's what I would say. I think the goal of every child of God is to be more and more like their father each and every day. Ephesians chapter five, verse one says, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, Preston, because 
You are his dear child. We are his dear children. Another way to say it, because we are God's children, we should therefore be imitators of God. This is what children do. At a young age, before any trauma in anybody's heart, the, the, I believe the natural bent of a child is to look in the direction of a parent or a parental figure and want to imitate them. I think we're designed that way. I'm watching in a five-year-old who is not even biologically mine after spending half of his life with him so far. <laughs> I, I find him almost on a daily basis trying to do something like me. So th this week, this is probably TMI, I've, I've been cold plunging in our pool early in the morning. I'll get in for like 10 to 12 minutes and Maxon, our five-year-old little boy that we've been fostering, uh, he, he sees me doing this some mornings when he wakes up. He sees me in the pool. Well, because he sees me doing it, what does he do? He wants to get in the pool. And, and so I jump in. I don't put on a swimsuit. I just jump in uh, in my skivvies. Well, what does he do? He takes off his pajamas. He's got his skivvies. It, it's like he doesn't even think about, you know, that he just took off his PJs and he's in his skivvies. Here's why he doesn't think about it. Because it's, it's what I was doing. And he's wanting to imitate me. So then what does he do? I'm in the pool. He gets in the freezing cold water, a five-year-old. And he puts his feet in and he's like, whoa, dad, this is freezing. But because I'm up to my neck, he tries to go in a little bit deeper. And as I'm watching this go down, I'm in freezing cold water. And I just felt the Holy Spirit say, this is the way it was designed to work, Preston. You were created to be an imitator of your father. To revere him, to chase after him in such a way that when you catch him doing something, the desire of your heart is to do it just like him. Look at the very next verse. Verse 2 of Ephesians 5 gives us even more skin on these bones. It says, so live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. One of the most amazing things to me about Jesus is his why. Of course, he came to die for me, but he didn't just come to earth to die. He, he came to earth to live. Scripture says to show us the Father. Jesus even said when one of his disciples said, show us the Father. And I think it was Philip. Philip says, show me the Father. Show us the Father. And Jesus says, what? show you the father what do you mean show you the father i've been showing you the father this whole time if you've seen me you've seen the father jesus is sending a message as his son i am on assignment to perfectly imitate my father why because preston they're going to be those who say i can't see god so how can i imitate a god i can't see and thus the father sent the son to show us the Father flawlessly, perfectly. The Lord's been reminding me something, a prayer that I prayed, started praying 
probably around three decades ago as a teenage boy. I never remember asking the Lord, one day I want to pastor a really big church. Uh, I'm not saying that I do. I'm saying I just never, never asked the Lord at a young age. I, I want to be a pastor and pastor a really big church or, or you know, lead some big ministry. I, I don't remember using the word big to describe what I was asking God for, but I do remember <laughs> almost recklessly praying this prayer. God, please make me more like Jesus. Full disclosure, I had no idea what I was praying at that age. I just had something in my heart that at the time I didn't understand. And now as a 45-year-old middle-aged man, I'm looking at that little boy in the cry of his heart, understanding he was praying exactly what God put in his heart which he puts, I believe, in every heart of every one of his children, this inner desire to be more like him. And Jesus, the son, came to show me what the father was like so that I could fulfill this desire that the, the little boy had and has to be more like his capital F father. Every child of God was designed by God with the desire to be an imitator of God. I hear people just say words like this from time to time. I just do what I do, man. I'm just out here doing what I do, man. I can't control anything else. I just do what I do. That's not actually the goal for every Christ follower. The goal sounds more like this. I'm trying to do what he would do. Do you know how much easier, and I'm pretty sure you do, how much easier it is to live this life not trying to be like Jesus? All you have to do is satisfy every urge of your flesh. It, it is the easiest but hardest way to live. Whereas living like Jesus is the hardest thing and yet the easiest thing that we could ever do. It's an upside down kingdom. The goal isn't, I'm just going to do what I do. It's actually why there's so much pain on the earth because man out there be doing what he do. And that's why there's murder. That's why there's the infliction of incredible emotional pain and distress, and the list could go on and on and on. That's what happens when we do what we do apart from God, instead of trying to do what he would do. Let me say it like this. Some of my biggest regrets in this life have come when I boldly chose to do the opposite of what God would have done in that moment. I really try not to cry hard to this one. I don't know that I, if I have talked about this. I think I might have touched on this before. But one of the biggest regrets of my life was at my son Tyler's baseball game. And this was one of those moments I am I'm not just not proud of. I am incredibly um, embarrassed by. I'm not ashamed of it as though I heap shame on myself. But it's not a flattering moment. And, and my son uh, was playing third base. 
and the kids he was playing were just hitting rockets and they were sitting on him just ripping them down the third baseline right at Tyler and in one inning he had four errors and I was on the sideline on the fence probably less than 20 feet 30 feet from where Tyler was playing third base and I just remember I'm sure in frustration and if I'm being totally transparent I'm sure even being a little embarrassed in the moment which is so stupid but I remember with a frustrated tone kind of acting like I was encouraging my son but I was really probably sending the message what's wrong with you and to this day I know it's something that affected my son legitimately one of the stupidest things I've ever done in my life and here's why it was stupid because it was the literal opposite thing that Jesus would have done in that moment there is no way Jesus in a very low moment where Tyler's looking for someone to encourage him there's no way Jesus would have done what one night and I'm sure some of you think man what's wrong with Preston he, nothing's wrong I promise I just didn't expect that the closer he and I would get the more sensitive I would start becoming to doing things that he wouldn't do and that was one of those moments and I've tried as I've gotten older since then to be a little more aware in the moment when I would do something Jesus wouldn't do and just for anybody who might be looking in my direction a little judgmentally I just want to humbly submit to you um, we're all sinners in need of a savior and so just before you get too excited about yeah present yeah i think this is all of us and that's why i feel comfortable sharing it with you because there isn't one among us who has lived every moment of their lives doing exactly what jesus would have done and that brings us to the second question what does it look like what does it actually look like to be an imitator of God? Well, we've already touched on it. It looks like Jesus. I want to give you a passage of scripture, and there are so many different passages that I could have used uh, kind of as a list that uh, in, in some small way uh, give a picture of what Jesus was and is like. And Colossians chapter 3, starting at verse 12, I think it is a pretty decent passage to help paint the picture. What does it actually look like to imitate God, to live like Jesus? Colossians 3 verse 12 says, Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves, and NLT says, with tenderhearted mercy. Other translations might say compassion. You must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, with kindness, with humility, 
gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. And always be thankful. Let's just walk through the bulk of this list so that we can get a tangible picture of the life that you and I are called to live. First on the list, compassion. Tenderhearted mercy, the NLT says. What I love, it comes from two Greek words that put together literally are translated like this. Bowels of mercy. Compassion is like bowels of mercy or mercy in my bowels, in the deepest part of my being. Jesus, many times through the Gospels, uh, a statement was made of him uh, in various moments of ministry. And the statement was something along these lines. And Jesus, having compassion on the people. So I'll read you one such instance. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 and verse 36 says, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Interesting that sickness and disease are marked out as two different things. Quite possibly, I wonder if one talks about something physical, the body, and one speaks of the soul. Pretty sure it does. Verse 36, but when Jesus saw the multitudes, the throngs of people, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. I would love to just sit in this, but get the picture here. Not only is Jesus taking in this large group of people, Jesus being Jesus, he sees beyond the exterior and he sees their weariness. He sees their franticness. He sees their disunity. He sees their voids and he sees them searching to fill the void. And based on what he saw in their lives and in their hearts, it moved him deep in his being with compassion. I'll give you kind of my working definition of the word compassion. It means to feel a sadness so deeply that you are compelled to do something about what you see or feel. Whether it's to see a, a, a wrong that must be righted or a lack um, which something must be done about. It's, it's not just to see it. It's to feel 
almost overwhelmed by it, to feel the weightiness of it. And it hit me in such a way where I am compelled. Compassion compels me to do something about what I am seeing, which is causing me to feel something in a very deep way. I want you to think about kind of a a picture in a movie or on a TV show uh, where a house is on fire and somebody outside the fire starts screaming, somebody do something. My baby's in there. I want you just to think for a moment, and I'm not trying to draw light, make light of something, but I just want you to think about the irony about any person who is able to see something which, which creates a deep sadness in them, which they feel compelled to speak up about. I want you just to process the irony of being someone on the outside of the fire saying, somebody do something. while not doing anything about it. I wonder how many times we are moved deeply by something we see and in our hearts we say before God, God, you need to do something about this. Somebody do something. I wonder if God doesn't respond every time saying, yeah, you. God, somebody needs to do something about this, about the disciples. Lord, somebody needs to feed all these people. You're the one who does miracles. Somebody do something. And what does Jesus say to his disciples? You give them something to eat. Yeah, somebody should be moved with compassion and give them something to eat. And it's such a miraculous moment where Jesus does this miracle through the disciples. They dispense the miraculous meal. But it started with, Lord, somebody needs to do something about this. And I think Jesus was reminding us all, there are going to be moments in this life where I, my weightiness, my heart in a matter weighs so heavily on you that it pushes out the word somebody needs to do something. Preston, let me let you know how I'm going to respond every time. Yeah, you should. It's why I enabled you to see it. Because I want you to do something about it. What does it look like to be an imitator of God and live like Jesus? Well, first, it looks like being consistently moved with compassion. Next, kindness. What's the most simple definition of kindness? Two words. And I've been talking a little bit about this with you on the Leaders Cut and on the platform and sermons. Probably the most simple but powerful definition of kindness is to do good. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10 says, Therefore, Whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, 
especially to those in the family of faith. This is a weighty one. This is an all-the-time one. Kindness all the time when I have the opportunity. Here's what I've learned about doing good. Doing good often means doing the most inconvenient thing. Yesterday, I was going to CVS to grab something, and this is not flattering to talk about, but hey, if we're not creating a, an, a, an environment and conversation where we can just have real talk, then what does that mean? It means all of this is a bunch of fake talk, and that's not my desire. So if what you want me to do is to pretend like I'm some heroic figure who never messes up and always does exactly what Jesus would do, you got the wrong fool. (laughs) Okay. Yesterday I was walking into CVS and I look at this car that was about to pull out and I didn't even pay close enough attention, which is bad. I'm pretty sure it was a a younger woman, probably in her early twenties. And she was backing out of this parking spot and her front right tire was pretty flat. I mean, like borderline flat tire flat. I was running from one meeting to another meeting, no excuse. Uh, I was running about 10 to 12 minutes late. And as I saw the tire, I was moving so quickly. I'll be honest. I didn't even feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I felt a, 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 a nodding of the Holy Spirit. Just a, did you see that? And I kept walking. And I literally thought to myself, If I'm the one to point out that she's driving on a tire that she can't drive on, then I'm going to have to stop and fix it. I know I am a horrible human. Now, I'm probably pretty sure that either her car told her and she pulled back into a parking spot uh, or seeing it drive like this. Um, But I walked right by. and excused what I was doing. And after the fact, when I was walking back out uh, to my truck, I started to feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And just these words. Are you living like Jesus? (laughs) This is my response. Lord, this is a really inconvenient way to live. It's horrible words, horrible words. But let me share my horror and my unflattering moments so that you can learn what he then taught me, which was so invaluable and so clarifying for me. Here's what I felt the Lord said in response. Preston, two things. Remember, I just said to him, Lord, it's a really inconvenient thing to live like you. Here's what he said in response. Preston, two things. First, there was nothing convenient about me laying aside my divine privileges and leaving my father's right side, his right hand. Preston, there was nothing convenient about that when I did it. And second, the only way my desires for you are inconvenient to you is if you're too comfortable being your version of you. (laughs) 
Wah, wah. <laughs> but of course he's right. Is it possible that in our blowing and going and, and doing things for the Lord, that maybe sometimes we move too fast? Hoping that our fast pace is his pace when what he would do is slow down so that he could fix the flat tire. And who knows the conversation that would have ensued. And I would have missed my entire next meeting, most likely. Preston, the only way my desires for you are inconvenient to you is if you're too comfortable being your version of you. Kindness. Do good. What does it look like to be an imitator of our Heavenly Father and live like Jesus? He was the epitome of kindness. What's the next thing on the list? Humility. Humility. My favorite picture of, of Jesus being the embodiment of humility, and I, I try and wrap your mind around this. I want you to imagine, I'm going to take you to John 13, being the Son of God, fully man, fully God, fully God. And you are walking in such a way, with such a posture, because to me, humility isn't a mindset, it's a posture. Imagine being the Son of God and living in such a way that your posture is that of a foot washer. Honestly, this is probably going to sound silly. I think one of the reasons Jesus put this in the Bible involves me. I can't stand feet. I hate feet. I, I, I don't know why. I'm just kind of grossed out by feet. And the thought of being a foot washer is actually slightly repulsive to me. And I wonder if, if the Lord didn't just slide this one in there to go, Preston, this is a picture for you. You're going to have to embrace doing some things you are literally repulsed by. I can't wrap my mind about, around being the one we all serve and should serve as his followers. I can't imagine being him and lowering myself in posture to where I'm literally washing the feet of someone who would betray me someone who would sell me. I can't even imagine washing Judas, Judas's feet. Who, who knows how many times? I mean, we, we see a moment in John 13 where Jesus is washing feet, but I wonder if it didn't happen multiple times with some of the disciples. Watch how Jesus teaches us to be more like him in John 13. Jesus says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you're right to do so, because that's what I am. I am your Lord, Preston. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. What profound words then Jesus gives, not just the example, but the command. Do as I have done to you. Can you imagine if we adopted as followers of Jesus Christ this mentality? The bigger 
my bullhorn, where people can hear the sound of my voice or your voice or, or stand on any platform, the bigger the bullhorn, the bigger your bowl. The more water required in order to wash the feet of many more people. Is that how you and I live? Would the people around us describe us as foot washers? I don't know if every time I go into the office where the team I get to be on and help lead, I don't know that I'm going to be washing everybody's feet every time I go in there. But in my heart, is that my posture? Is humility my posture? Jesus had every right experiencing more success than any human who ever walked the face of the earth because he was fully man and fully God. If anybody had a right to swagger, it was Jesus. But he didn't. And not only did he not swagger, he did the opposite. Got down on his knees and he washed their filthy feet. I, I don't know that I'm even capable of that kind of, of posture 24-7. But it's how Jesus lived. Even as Lord, he wasn't lording over anyone. And he wasn't even getting on their level, quote-unquote. He was getting beneath and even looking up at them as he washed their feet. But he wasn't just washing their feet. He was giving them an example, giving us an example to follow and a command which goes with it. Just as I have done this for you, I want you to do this for others. Do as I have done to you. Then we get to the next thing on the list in Colossians 3, gentleness. Gentleness. This is one I feel specifically that the Lord's been highlighting with me. Growing up playing basketball, being scrappy, uh, basketball players can we, we can run our mouths. We we can be you know choppy and and throw an elbow every once in a while. Um, and I think as as I get older, I'm learning uh, the field of life is not the basketball court. And um, there's no need for uh, just needless scrappy, you know, that kind of stuff. In fact, that's the opposite of a spirit of gentleness. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty nine when he's talking to us saying, when, when you're heavy, when you feel overwhelmed by weight, and I I'm pretty sure all of us have felt that before. Preston, when you're feeling weighed down by the weight I've asked you to carry, just do this. Take my yoke upon you and let me teach you. Teach you what? Teach me how to be like him. This is one of the things he teaches me. He says, let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart. 
and you will find rest for your souls. This is fascinating to me because I think some of us think this picture in Matthew chapter 11, when we come to, some of us are, are such go-getters and, and possibly so wounded that, that out of our wounds, we think we have to do more, and which means carry more. And, and the picture in Matthew 11 of someone coming to Jesus and saying, I, I can't carry this anymore. For some of us, that, that's actually a very ugly picture of weakness that seems incorrect or improper. When in fact, Jesus is saying, there are going to be times where the call I have bestowed upon you and the requests I have made of you are going to be feel so heavy on you. But Preston, it's designed to go down like that. If I didn't do it like that, you would try and do it in your own strength. But I put more on you than you can handle in your natural strength so that you will come to me and do it with me. But look at this. So if you're a doer and you feel like if someone admits to God, this is too heavy and I can't carry this anymore. And you think because God is the divine taskmaster that God responds saying, what's wrong with you? Preston, pull up your britches and carry the weight. Be a man, Preston. Stop crying about it. This isn't heavy. Other people are carrying much heavier things than you. That's not how Jesus responds. Jesus responds, he tells us, in gentleness. Again, when I look back and just look with my kids, um, and I trust the Lord and, and he protects us from ourselves oftentimes, uh, and I trust that the Lord will work through with each of my children and your children our imperfections. Not, that's not an excuse for wrongdoing. But I even think through times where maybe I, I was on the go, go, go. And, and when I got home, one of my kids might have um, shared something weighty that they were carrying. And I, I wonder how many times I didn't respond in gentleness. And it was more, hey, you're good. You got this. Get up. Make it happen. You, you're good. Let's go. We can do this thinking like I was some coach coaching a player rather than a father gently teaching his child. Jesus says, Preston, when you come to me overwhelmed, I want you to know how, how, how you're going to find me every time. You're going to find me to be gentle. And so I respond, what does gentleness look like? Look like it looks like this, Jesus responding, saying, hey, Preston, this is my paraphrase of, of Matthew 11. Preston, I know. It's heavy. It's a lot. Let me, let me walk you through why it feels so weighty. Sometimes it's because something's a little bit off. Sometimes it's because the weight was designed to crush my flesh. Sometimes, if not all the time, all the time, it's designed to bring me closer to him so that we'll do it together. But he's so gentle in the way he enters and navigates the discussion. I feel the Lord, you know, I'm not to the grandfather season of life, but I don't want to wait until the grandfather season of life 
to walk in gentleness. I think it's like there's some, uh, a lot of my mentors that are older, uh, life softens you. And it's like in the father season, you know, you're, you're still having to kind of build and conquer and take. And then the grandfather or grandmother season, uh, we just, sometimes we have a little more luxury to be gentle. I don't want to wait until then to be gentle. Not just with those I love, but with anyone. Why? Because Jesus is the epitome of gentleness. A question that we all should ask. The people closest to me, would they describe me as being gentle like Jesus? And even further than that, do we, do we make space for someone whom we love to say, hey, uh, that, that didn't feel gentle to me in such a way that it arrests us and causes us, causes us to, to just say, Holy Spirit, help me right now. Maybe it's because of this was going on earlier in the day or whatever. Holy Spirit, help me in this moment with the one I love to be gentle like Jesus. What's the next thing on the list? Patience. Patience. A word many of us hate to talk about, let alone walk out. First Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 and 16 says, This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I, Paul says, am the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. This is such a robust and romantic verse. Again, you know me, I love to paraphrase, uh, to, to personalize scripture. It's like Paul saying, Preston, let me help you understand why God chose someone like me who was endeavoring to kill followers of Jesus. God did it so that he could reveal to you, Preston, just how patient he is, not just with everyone, but with you. Have you ever felt like something you were doing was frustrating God? You, you, were, you were struggling to learn the lesson, and so you were repeating the same mistake over and over again, and you allowed the enemy to convince yourself that, that God was seated on the throne, just tapping his foot, going, when, when are they going to learn? When, when, what is the deal? When are they going to learn? I wonder how many of us get a picture of God in those moments, not being frustrated, but exuding patience. Patience for us as humans in a fallen world isn't patience until the waiting is painful. Sometimes, I think one of God's favorite ways to teach us patience is to give us a promise early, which will take decades and decades for us to see fulfilled. There's a lot of things he does in moments like that. Uh, I think one of the things is to see if, if we are idolizing the promise. 
But I don't think that's the only thing he's doing. I don't think it's just a test to see if I'm idolizing the promise or elevating the promise above my view of God. I think one of the biggest things he's doing in, in a season like that is he's not just testing our patience, he's teaching us patience. When I got married, one of the silliest thoughts that I had is that if Holly and I reached an impasse because one of us was just a little bit off in an area, that once we talked about it, it would be like this immediate change and, and we'd just be good. <laughs> and you know what Holly's learned? You know what I've learned being married to one another? The love requires an immense amount of patience. Do we extend patience to one another the way Christ shows patience towards us? Or are many of our frustrations in life time-based? Are we just frustrated that that so many things are taking much longer than we think they should. What if every invitation to wait, which God extends to you and me, just so happened to be one of his favorite ways to teach us one of his favorite fruits, patience. You could bring in long suffering to this one. I'm sure that there's some similarity there. But again, if patience is a word which describes God and therefore describes Jesus in the way in which he lived, is patience a word which describes us? I feel like in some areas I'm patient. But in others, I'm not just impatient. To God, I'm pretty sure I probably come off as impetuous, not just impatient. That in my impatience, I take matters into my own hands. How much more patience do you need to look like Jesus? I thought I'd kind of pass the test of patience navigating this last 10 year period of my life. You know what I'm learning? That when I compare myself to Jesus, when I compare myself to my past, I always feel good for the most part. But every time I compare myself to Jesus, I fall painfully, woefully short. And patience is one of those areas. This is why fast food restaurants make such a killing. Because there are just those moments where we don't want to put in, don't feel we can put in what's needed to have a meal. And so we just go get one quickly. We all do it. I'm not, not going to come at anybody. But I wonder if we haven't become so conditioned to feed our impatience and immediately grab whatever we want that it's causing us to send the wrong image of the one whom we are meant to imitate. With the lost people around us who do not yet know God as friend and Jesus as Lord, 
I wonder if our impatience with them sends the exact opposite message of what our God is like. What's the next thing on the list? Starts to get even harder here. Making allowance for one another's faults. What does making an allowance for others and their faults actually look like? Well, in part, it it looks like making room for them to stumble, to trip up, and not canceling them. How about that one? Got everybody on the planet just waiting for one fault to be exposed and everybody be getting canceled. Is that what is that what Jesus would do? Is that what he does? One strike and you're out? What does making allowance for the faults of others look like? Let me give you two things to think about. First, it means you have to remember they're human. Hear me, I'm not excusing bad behavior, but none of us are perfect. You aren't and I am not. We have to remember that the people around us are imperfect humans in an imperfectly fallen world. And if you and I expect perfection from imperfect people, every person will disappoint us. So in order to make allowance for everyone's faults, we need to start with, oh, they're not Jesus. They're trying to live like Jesus. And oftentimes they do a really good job, but then every once in a while, they're not going to look like Jesus because they aren't Jesus. Everybody on this earth, human, imperfect. And then I think making allowance for one another's faults also involves this. Remembering they've been hurt. Sometimes I have to stop myself when I feel like someone's hurting me or coming at me or says something you know, hurtful to me. Um, I have to remember they're human. They're not perfect. They just are trying to follow the perfect one. But I also have to remember they've been hurt. And maybe a nerve got touched on and it, it caused a measure of hurt. Again, not making excuses for others' mistakes. But I am telling you and myself, we have to make sure that we keep each person's context in mind. We don't have to read too much into it, but listen, there, there are days over the next 10 days where you might, a, a nerve might get touched and it's like an involuntary reflex. You know what I'm saying? You know, when you go to the doctor and, and they hit your knee and, and your knee just goes like this, it's possible that over the next 10 days, you might have a couple of days where a nerve gets touched and you don't even realize you have an involuntary reflex. All of us are, are quote unquote guilty of that. Do we make allowances? Not excuses, allowances. And here's, here's the difference to me between making excuses and making allowances. Excuses are something I make when I try and just rationalize in my own mind isolated from anybody else. I just make, well, they did this because, no, 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 I'm making an excuse for them. Making an allowance is something I do in partnership with the Lord. 
making allowance. Jesus did this on the cross. We're going to talk about this at, at the end. One of the greatest prayers, Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He literally says, don't charge them with this. It's actually the next thing on the list. Forgive those who offend you. Make allowances for one another's faults. But then when they offend you, when they cross the line, Preston, if you're going to live like me, you're going to have to do with them what I've done and do with you. Forgive them. I talked about this this last weekend. So if you saw that message or the reel that we put out on forgiveness, uh, I'm not going to spend too much time here. But you know what I think a large portion of the hurt on the earth can be connected to? A lack of forgiveness. Carrying an offense and not releasing the offense to God by forgiving the person who offended me. Do you realize in a fallen world with humans who are hurting and quite possibly, I mean, the last three years on the earth, there, there seems to be as much hurt, if not more so than any other point in my lifetime. What do we, what do we do? Do we hold on to the offense or do we forgive? Colossians 3 says, Preston, if you're going to live like Jesus, got to release them of the offense, make room for their faults and release them when they cross the line. This brings us to question number three. And I know we're, we're deep into this, but trust me, we're going to fly through these three questions. Is this even possible? Is it even possible to live like this? Let's be real. Here's the answer. Naturally, no. Supernaturally, yes. Most certainly, yes. And here's how I would say, I, I felt like uh, the Lord gave me a, a sentence that um, involves Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in reverse order. Is it possible for a human in a fallen world to live like Jesus? Perfectly, no. Naturally, no. Supernaturally, yes. Here's how I would say it. Only by the Holy Spirit. Only by the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 3.18, a fantastic verse for this conversation says, so all of us who have had that veil removed, uh, when someone turns to Christ, the veil is removed, and reflect the glory of God, the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. It's the Spirit of God that day by day, the ongoing work of sanctification, which is a once and for all and ongoing work, it's both and, it is the Spirit of God who day by day makes us more like Him as we are changed by him into his glorious image. Romans 8.14 says it like this, for all who are led by the spirit of God are children of God. Another way to say that for me is, all of the children of God are led by the spirit of God. I cannot live like Jesus without being led by the spirit. The spirit of God enables me day by day 
to be an imitator of God. So first part, um, Holy Spirit. The second part, while studying Jesus. So by the Holy Spirit, while studying Jesus. I know this is an interest, interesting one. Colossians 3 verse 10 says, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him or more and more like him. There's a moment in Matthew 26, Jesus is going away to pray and the three, he, he commissions something very specific. And I want to give you uh, I know the way it's taught, and it's absolutely right. I want to I want to turn the diamond just a little bit this way, and possibly get you to look at this one word a little bit differently. Jesus in Matthew twenty six verse forty one tells the three, "Keep watch and pray." I'm going to go over and pray. You stay here. Keep watch and pray, so that you will not give into temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. This is a loaded teaching by Jesus that doesn't seem like that big of a deal. Keep watch of what? I think part of what Jesus was saying is, boys, watch me. Watch what I'm doing. You've heard me say this before if you've been running with me for any amount of time. Love studies the one they love. This is what theology is, the study of God. And study is right when it leads me closer to the one I am studying. Jesus says, watch me. Watch me. Watch me. Watch me. Watch me. My kids are cringing. If they would watch this episode, they would cringe if they saw that part. I live by the Holy Spirit. I can be like Jesus. If I am living day to day by or in the power of the Holy Spirit, while studying Jesus, you know, one of the best things I can submit to you that every year of your life, you make sure you read through the gospels at least once or twice a year. I think that would be an incredible endeavor on your part. How can we become more and more like Jesus if we're not studying Jesus? This is what lovers do. We study the one we love. Lovers are learners and the lovers of God must be the most obsessive and committed studiers of God. Because that's what love does. We study the one we love. How can I be more like Jesus if I'm not spending any time throughout the year or years of my life studying how Jesus rolled? As children of God, we are called and created to be imitators of God. And the Father sent the Son to show us what God was like. But if I don't open up that book and read through the life of Jesus on the earth, how can I become more and more like Jesus if I have no idea what Jesus is like? And listen to me. You don't have to be a theologian to study God. You know what you need to be? Someone who loves him. Lovers are learners. So just go study the one you love and see how he responds. I know it sounds weird to put that in. To live by the power of the Holy Spirit while studying Jesus. And then here's the third part. Living in submission to God. 
it is impossible to live like Jesus by the Holy Spirit and not be in submission to God. 1 Corinthians 6 verses 19 and 20 remind us how this works. Or do you not know that your body, speaking to believers, is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you, Preston, are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Preston, this ain't going to work if you try and stay in control of your life. The only way to live like me, to be an imitator of me, is to be in submission to me. Jeremiah said it like this in chapter 10, verse 23. He said, I know, Lord, that our lives are not our own. Just another way to say, we live in submission to the one we love. And I cannot live like Jesus if I am not in submission to the Father. Jesus would say it time and time again. I don't just say whatever I, I want to say. I say what the Father told me to say exactly the way the Father told me to say it. Submission. The Son was submitted to the Father. Submission for us as humans is tested when I don't want to do what he keeps asking me to do. The question isn't, do I want to? The question is, will I submit to his will and his ways? I'm never going to be able to be more like Jesus if I'm trying not to walk and live in submission to God. And here's the, the last question I want to cover. So how does he pull it off? How does he do it? How does God make us look more like him? I will tell you from my experience, this is just my perspective, but I also believe it's scripture. And I'm going to read you verse 2 of Ephesians 5 to, to remind you of this. How does God make us more like him? Death. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 2 says, He loved us, Jesus, and offered himself as a sacrifice for us. He died for us. And this was a pleasing aroma to God. What does death look like? Here's what death looks like as we endeavor to be more like Jesus. Because Bonhoeffer said it like this, when Jesus calls a man, he bids him to come and die. What does death look like as a Christ follower? Well, when God wants to teach you compassion, he puts you around really difficult and painful situations and circumstances where people have much pain. When God wants to teach you patience, gives you a promise and makes you wait decades to see it fulfilled. When God wants to teach you forgiveness, strengthen your, your muscle of forgiveness, he puts you around somebody whom you least want to forgive 
and they do something that you could easily convince yourself is the most unforgivable thing. Hear me. I'm not saying God did it to you. God uses tragic instances, painful moments in a fallen world that were not his desire for us to ever experience. But he is the God who redeems. And he even uses the pain we experience on earth to make us look more and more like him while we live on this earth. When God wants to teach you a fruit of the Spirit, when he wants to teach you one of the things that makes him who he is, he wants to teach you humility. He calls you to a lower level when you feel like you should be at a higher level than you've ever been. It's an upside-down kingdom, and this is how he rolls. I've been crucified with Christ. What does that mean? It means I no longer live. Christ lives in me. What's the goal? It's for me to live my everyday life as a Christ follower in such a way where hopefully a couple times a day someone has the thought. That looks a little bit like Jesus. Preston's been crucified with Christ. That's why I just saw a glimpse of Jesus operating through Preston because it's Christ living through him. It's excruciating. It is more painful than words at times can express. Oftentimes, what death looks like in this upside-down kingdom is us getting to a place in painful situations where we say to the Lord, Lord, what should I do with this person? Here's what death sounds like. God responding, saying, well, what did I do with you? That's what I want you to do for and with them. We signed up for it. And listen, uh, as, as painful as it is and as heavy as it can be and seem, there's no other way to live. There is truly no other way to live. I want to get closer and closer and closer to him in such a way that I'm becoming more and more like him. Part of that means I become more and more aware that in my humanity, I'm nothing like him. But I'm going to, with everything that's in me, endeavor to do my best to live by his spirit while studying his son, submitting even to the point what sometimes seems like death, submitting to the Father. Why? Because my daddy is amazing. And everything he does is amazing. 
The way he loves on people is amazing. The way he wills that none should perish is amazing. And the way he desires to partner with us to do anything on the earth that would bring him glory and expand his kingdom is one of the divine invitations man will ever receive. And a part of that invitation means, Preston, if you're going to run with me, I'm going to need you to be more like me. Listen, I know that some of the stuff that we touched on may have touched a nerve, and uh, I get it. Um, I just want to pray as we wrap up this episode and again invite the Holy Spirit into whatever room you are in whether it's a vehicle, whether it's a cafe, whether it's a living room, whether it's a bedroom, whether it's a a field or a deer blind, can I get an amen? I just want to, again, invite the Holy Spirit into wherever you are and whatever work needs to be done next. I'm going to pray that you would have the courage to do it. And don't be surprised if the Holy Spirit whispers to you and nudges you saying something really hard which I desire for you to do. But you're going to have to be more like Jesus in order to pull it off. Don't be surprised if over the next couple of minutes that you feel the Holy Spirit clearly articulate something which you, you might have been trying to not just brush brush aside, but to suppress. Don't be surprised if he brings it back up. Let me pray over us as we wrap up. God, you are so compassionate. You know the, the void man has without you. And time and time again, you are moved by your love for us to do something about our difficult and painful situations. You are so good like that, God. You are so kind. Good is what you do because you are wholly good. God, time and time again, as we go through the list, whether it's forgiving when others offend us, whether it's making room for the faults of others, whether it's walking in humility, whether it's the, the fruit of the Spirit, time and time again, we are reminded in your word of how amazing you are. But just how much we fall short in being anything like you, yet you made us in your image. And you sent your son to show us what you were like so that we wouldn't be taking a stab as though we were in the dark of what it means to be like you. You sent your son to show us. And your son sent the spirit to show us how to pull it off. 
Holy Spirit, I pray right now in this moment for every one of us. God, I pray every person who can hear the sound of my voice right now would receive a divine weightiness, a kavod, a weightiness that just sets in on them, that the God of the universe would move in so close to them the way you did the very beginning of this episode in this space. Holy Spirit, I pray as you push in on them, I pray there would be a heightened awareness of where there needs to be some extra effort and submission to God. Whether it's to make some things right, which were wrong, whether it's to stop doing some things, which we've known were wrong all along, no matter what it is, Holy Spirit, would you convict us in gentleness? It is your kindness, O oh God, which leads us to repentance. Holy Spirit, in kindness and gentleness, would you point out what most offends you, which is in me and us? And then, would you give us the divine enablement to do something about it by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in such a way that we walk away from this conversation being more like Jesus? Father, thank you for sending the Son. Jesus, thank you for sending the Spirit. We have been given everything we need to walk out this godly life. You are what we need most. Holy Spirit, show us the way and bring conviction every time we need it so that we can be the most accurate representation of you and your heart as ones who radiate your glory to bring you glory and to build your kingdom on the earth. God, we love you so much. I pray your richest blessings over my brothers and sisters as they endeavor to be more like you. May they be rendered speechless by your response every time they try. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I love you so much, and I appreciate you wading into conversations like this. The weightier matters. This is our call to be like the one who sent his son to come for us. I love you so much. I'm praying for you. And while this path may not be easy, he is with you. His hand is on you. Go get you some and look like your daddy. Love you. See you next week. <laughs>